The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, it's a very big day ahead, isn't it? With the Federal Reserve decision plus plenty of other corporate news out there. Welcome to Scorebox. These are your headlines. So the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield hitting its highest level since 2007, putting the squeeze on global stocks as investors count down to the Fed decision. Well, meanwhile, $300 trillion and then some. Now, total global debt scales a fresh record high as rising rates puts pressure on borrowers across the board. Instacart shares close up over 12%, scaling back from even stronger earlier gains as the grocery delivery firm makes its debut on the Nasdaq. The group's CEO tells CNBC post-COVID growth is key. We have now proven that we not only kept the COVID gains but grew on top of the COVID gains and grew sustainably and profitably, uh, which is really important. ARK Invest makes its entry into the European ETF market. Snapping up specialist thematic group Rise will be speaking to CEO Cathy Wood at 9 o'clock CET. And the European Commission Vice President Marosevkovic tells CNBC Europe is seeking balance in its trading relationship with China, downplaying the prospect of duties on Chinese EVs in the near future. We are very far from uh, imposing import duties for Chinese vehicles because, I mean, these investigations, to be fair, must be uh, conducted uh, properly. But in the meantime, uh, it's, it's clear that uh, uh, we have to redouble our efforts to make sure that our car industry uh, remains very competitive. U.S. yields already marching higher ahead of the Fed as investors waited up for the all-important commentary from Jay Powell, just exactly what those economic projections are going to look like and the dot plot later on today too as the market shapes up for rate cuts next year. Complicating the scenario has been this economic growth story that's been stronger than anticipated, setting the scene for a higher for longer scenario for U.S. rates. And that's what markets have been reacting to in session yesterday. We climbed to the highest level since early November 2007 on the U.S. 10-year yield, 4.37, where we got to just a whisker off that in the morning session. So investors are already placing those bets around that longer story on U.S. rates. In terms of what that's doing elsewhere, let's take a look at the oil prices. Well, WTI Brent, a lot of reporting in recent days as to whether 100 is the next stop at this point. The Saudi energy minister forced to defend those production cuts, saying they were not intended to boost the price of this in remarks about uh, the, the rationale for those moves as they cite the uncertainty in consumption in the Chinese economy, manufacturing in Europe, which we know has, of course, been battered, inflation, interest rates uh, globally as well. So what we've got this morning, slight cooling off in the price. We're down nine tenths roughly on both trades. WTI hugging that 90 handle, 93 and a half on Brent. 
U.S. markets, it's a big day, isn't it, for markets as we waited out for the Fed. And so far, you could see cautious across the board again yesterday. Investors are really hitting the sidelines since the start of this week as they wait for fresh evidence about the economic health and just what that interest rate scenario is going to look like. So down across the board, 100 points off the Dow, 9 to 10 points off the S&P, 32 down on the Nasdaq. A very similar ranges across the board in terms of that push lower. Stocks moving south, the likes of Amazon for the S&P and for the Nasdaq. I want to show you the dollar given the elevation we've had in yields. Uh, that does, of course, pivot the dollar north. And you can see morning session, most of the trades on this side of the world suffering. Sterling euro, as you can see, uh, up against the challenge of that greenback. 123.88 on sterling, euro dollar 106.77. Dollar fading versus the safe haven Japanese yen. This yield story, of course, quite key too for the Japanese market as it also counts down to the central bank decision. Bank of Japan later on this week and investors looking for what could be a fairly huge market moving event there around the central bank guiding on JGBs and on the yield story in Japan. So there's a lot in terms of moving pieces for dollar yen this week. Dollar yuan is uh, slightly firmer. To the Asian markets and the trade across the board today as you would anticipate before such a big risk event being the Fed. It's cautious. Hong Kong stocks in particular down three quarters of one percent. Six tens down for the Australian market. So a lot of links across the way to that U.S. market. And speaking of the epicenter, let's just take a look at those U.S. futures. Early on, you can see those ranges again trapped. Investors will be waiting for that uh, commentary from Jay Powell and all the latest evidence around the U.S. economy. So as a result, uh, we've got red arrows on the board. Higher for longer is the message from our latest Fed survey of top money managers, strategists and economists. While the vast majority of respondents expect the central bank to hold rates this week, the outlook for November is still split, with just under 40% expecting a rate hike. Respondents expect the Fed to keep rates on hold or just under 10 months with June 2024 iron for a cut. So in terms of the time frame, that's what we're looking for for that movement. Now, Wall Street is also split on whether the Fed has finished hiking. Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan both believe the Fed is done. Bank of America analysts say they expect the central bank to err on the side of caution and hike one last time in November, while Citi says the Fed won't cut rates until, quote, well into 2024 unless there is a recession. A former Dallas Fed president, Richard Fisher, says the Fed is on the right path to tackle price pressures. I think you have to give Powell and the Fed credit here. They made a mistake on the transitory inflation argument. Okay. They've, they've corrected for that. The economy has not tanked. Everybody keeps saying it's going to tank and a tank and a tank. And inflation is coming down. Well, I'm delighted to say Steve Englander joins us now, head of G10FX and North American Macro Strategy at uh, Standard Chartered Bank. Steve, I appreciate it. It's an unholy hour in New York, so thank you very much indeed for joining us. Now, look, um, where should our viewers be looking today? I've got my own opinions, but you're far more important and knowledgeable. Uh, looking at the rate decision itself, at what power has to say, or possibly the SEP? Well, I, I think the most visible thing is going to be the SCP. The what they'll be looking for is to see whether they keep um, one more hike, which was there in June. Uh, we think yes. Uh, we we just don't see the percentage, and they're removing it. And then there's the question of what they do with the um, 2024 cuts. We think that they want to send the signal that the economy is so resilient that um, they won't have to cut to. Um, you know, to, to keep the economy at, on the right pace and that the amount of 
uh, tension they need will be higher. So we think that they're going to remove one of the cuts that they had last last time there. Um, Steve, in terms of the U.S. economy, um, it's still growing quite nicely. We're seeing some upgraded estimates for 2023 figures. Most Americans who want to work are working and keeping their jobs as well. I even read from the IIF that consumer debt burdens remain largely manageable in mature markets, of which the U.S., of course, is the key one there as well. Having said that, we've got the Inflation Reduction Act, we've got the CHIPS Act, uh, and we've got raising, uh, rising oil prices and gasoline prices. Who says that inflation is defeated? in an economy that seems in strong fettle, uh, plus there are inflationary pressures out there? Well, I, I think defeated is a big, big word. I think it's, um, there are good reasons to think that, you know, certainly for the next couple of months, say six months, a um, bit longer, inflation is going to be on the soft side. Um, you look at China and their PPI, they're kind of giving stuff away. Uh, we, we know that there's room for CPI rents and PCE rents to come down. Um, uh, used car prices, you know, they're like uh, 4% in the CPI, a bit less than the PCE. There's room for that to come down. So in a sense, they are getting their transitory downward disinflationary pressures. The question is going to be once those have passed through, what's what's left? Uh, but for now, the inflationary picture, I think, is, is reassuring. It, it, it is coming down. Steve, can I get to the trade around the dollar? It has been a one-way trade since about July, uh, the, the strong level we've seen in dollar index. Does that get uh, altered off course today by anything the Fed could say? I don't think so. Uh, you know, the dollar trade is basically the U.S. is a safe haven with a very high yield, a world in which China is disappointing, in which Europe is disappointing, where it's hard to see the sources of growth. It's hard to beat the safe haven that has a couple of hundred basis points over you know, other major currencies. Um, I don't think that the Fed will be trying to affect the dollar. It's clear there's a little bit of concern. We're, we're getting it out of Japan. Uh, we're hearing even Yellen was sort of endorsing the Japanese concern about the strength of the dollar. But I, I don't think the Fed wants to go there right now. That's It's premature given that you know their inflation rate is still well above their target. Steve, just explain the connection now that we're seeing between yields and the FX trade, because we've certainly had an elevation yields overnight again on the 10-year. We could see it later on this week out of Japan, depending on what the Bank of Japan says. So what is that link now between yields and dollar trades as you see it? Well, FX investors are pretty simple people. If you get more yield out of a currency, you, you, you tend to buy it. Um, and I, and especially when there's no other story out there, it's kind of, you know, what else are you going to buy? It's not like equity markets are doing great outside the U.S. Um, you know, it's basically you buy the dollar for yield. There's a bit of a buzz about artificial intelligence and, and what that might do to productivity. It tends to be centered in the U.S. Um, and, and then there's like the safe haven. I mean, it's like if there's nothing else to buy, you buy dollars. U.S. side is not entirely clean. I mean, there are fiscal issues. You know, a lot of the um, run-up in yields is because of issuance. Um, you mentioned chips. You mentioned the, the so-called Inflation Reduction Act. All of that is is kind of pushing up yields. Um, it's not exactly the reason you want yields to go up, but, you know, the FX market can't resist a high yield, and they're chasing the dollar on that basis. Uh, Steve, um 
We talked a lot about interest rates and we talked a lot about the inflation rate and, and you and Karen about the dollar there as well. What about the Fed balance sheet as well? We're, we're all looking on one side at uh, what interest rates are doing, but I can't help thinking that there are concerns about liquidity in the system that are continuing to build and actually could make credit a lot more scarce. And that could have some serious ramifications, not just for the US, but globally. Well, look, yeah, there, there, there's... A- there are question marks. I mean, nobody can afford to buy a house. Nobody can afford to buy a car on time. Um, you know, credit card rates through the moon. Um, if if you owe money on your student debt, you're having to pay it back. Uh, the, say, regional banks have not had a spell of low interest rates where they could really um, clear up the duration issues on their balance sheets. Um, all of those are, are risks, and it's possible we're, you know, one of those will be the thread that un- unravels the story. It's just that so far we, ha- you know, we, we keep waiting for that thread and, and the unraveling, and it's just not happening. Steve, we're going to leave it there. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Uh, always good to be. And look, thank you very much indeed for staying up late or getting up early, whatever it is for us. Uh, I know it's a big day ahead uh, on Wednesday for you. Thank you very much indeed for that. Steve England, ahead of G10FX and uh, North American Macro Strategy at Standard Chartered Bank. Okay, Um, one of the interesting emails that always comes in my uh, inbox on a quarterly basis is the IIF Global Debt Monitor. And I think you always need to know what's going on on this front. So I make no apologies for always concentrating on this when it uh, comes through. Global debt levels hit a fresh record high of around $307 trillion in the first half of the year, according to the Institute for International Finance's latest global debt monitor. Now, that means nothing on its own unless we look at it as a percentage of GDP. So let's just do that. Debt as a percentage of GDP rose after almost two years of declines. And of course, a lot of that is a bit of a COVID spike. But still, as COVID is in the rearview mirror, at least we hope it is, uh, it's now um, a couple of percentage points higher than the fourth quarter last year, but still below levels seen during the COVID pandemic. So the level now uh, of global debt to GDP uh, is at extraordinarily high levels. We're talking about something in the region of 336%. So the world generates this amount of GDP and then you times it by 3.36 to get to the amount of debt in the world. Now, that on its own means very little as well. So let's just go into some detail about where a lot of these debts are. And it might just help you explain a little bit of why people like the Chinese are loath, and it's not just the Chinese, by the way, this is a global phenomenon, are loath to load up too much more on fiscal debt in order to bail out the consumer. When you consider already that debt levels across the household, across non-financial corporates, across government and the financial sector are already picking up, not just in China, but on a global basis and adding to real strains on EM, especially on refinancing over the next year or so. The other key point that the IAF have made is here, and I know Karen's been looking at the same report as well, is that higher inflation, higher borrowing costs, tighter lending standards and curtailed credit availability could all pretend, present problems as well. And I just got one chart that Matt, lovely Matt and our team just put together. In fact, put together two charts. And I just want to show you these charts uh, on consumer savings levels and consumer debt levels as well. Have we got those boards available? Right, can we have a look at those? Okay, so look, this is the US personal savings rate. And we spent a lot of time on this. Steve England had just referred to the fact that people are finding it very difficult now to buy new properties and indeed to take out new loans. Well, look at that. That is the spike that everyone got from saving money with their COVID checks. Look, it's gone. 
according to that chart. And I think we've got another chart as well uh, that I also want to show. So that's the share of disposable income. Well, this is another chart as well, which is actually something slightly different, but, I, but it's actually just showing you now the, the level of interest rates that Americans are paying across a whole remit uh, of different loans. And I'll just go through this. I make no apologies for spending more time on this one as well. Home equity loans are now 8.6% on average, as opposed to in March 2022, 6%. Used vehicle loans, a couple of percentage points high, you can see there as well. Uh, you can also see that credit card rates are nearly 21% as opposed to 16% uh, in early 2022. And I will just add one final detail that's not on that chart as well, so we can come off that one as well, is that savings accounts, they now deliver a mighty 0.45% of 1% compared to 0.06 before we saw all these rate hikes. So pathetic pass through uh, of interest rates to, uh, to people who are basically lending the bank their money to go and do something with, but actually interest rates have gone up aggressively across the world. I've said a lot, yeah. Karen. I was stunned by those very low deposit rates in the United States too. But I want to pick up on a couple of points here because we started off the show talking about the high yield. And one of the views is you, if you look at this uh, level of debt, that are we just going to settle in for high yields for longer? I mean, you've got countries that are still spending an enormous amount of money. We've been talking about it every other day with the Inflation Reduction Act, the uh, countermeasures from the Europeans and what other countries come up. So they're at least in the fight when it comes to transition. Someone has to pay for that. And the, uh, the expense that is now being racked up thanks to these very big measures, that's having an impact. The issuance has gone up. Don't forget tax receipts are also falling in a lot of countries as well. If we go into some form of a downturn, and this is a scenario that we're waiting for the central bank to talk about, what does the downturn look like? Is there any dry powder for that event? Is there their ability to tap into some coffer and uh, try and support the economy? And the reality is there's been so much stimulus over recent years that the debt burden has gone up. So uh, I do you know, just want to pick up on this uh, line about paying more and more out in interest to try and meet those borrowing costs. That was the line from the IIF. And for me, that's an issue. And we're talking about mature markets here. They were saying, if you look at the stats, more than 80% of the additional debt in the first half of the year came from mature markets. So we're talking about the United States, Japan, the UK and France with those big increases. So it's right here on our doorstep. It's not in emerging markets or developing countries. It's right here in our big developed markets. Yes, um, but we've seen, of course, a lot of those uh, interest rates historically um, on, on the EM debt ha has been in dollar terms. But I actually want to look at a slightly different side of the, the, the same conundrum that you're talking about, and that is that EM domestic debt constraints are, are potentially a problem here as well, because a lot of the economists out there as well will say, well, it doesn't matter if there's a default in one country, if it's domestic investors who are getting burned. It's if the international investor gets burned, then we have uh, a conundrum which has a domino effect around the globe. Well, actually, according to this latest data from the IAF, it's where the domestic debt concerns are that actually present ramifications. And I'll just read the following to our viewers. Uh, this year has seen a sharp decline in sovereign borrowing from domestic markets, but issuance is now trailing 20% behind last year. So less issuance of debt, okay? But given the interest expense that you just mentioned, and I'll add on to that on local currency debt, which now make up 80% of the um, total interest costs. So it's 80% of the burden is on domestic um, uh, lenders to the government as well. Domestic government debt levels are at alarming levels in many countries. Most worrying, the global financial architecture is not adequately prepared to manage risks associated with strains in domestic debt markets. So this is the nuance. 
Normally we worry on the global investment side about the follow through and what it means for international investors. And what the IIF is saying here is actually it's the domestic constraints which then put more pressure on individual countries that could actually in itself create other problems. Yeah, it's a big one. I mean, often we think about the consumers and the ability to pay back mortgages or credit cards. This is on a much larger scale as we talk about sovereigns at this point. So the um, reality is I think countries, uh, companies, uh, big businesses going back into the market, needing to refinance in recent times, are going back and getting not great market terms. As a result, that interest expense is rising. And that is uh, the big risk today as we talk about the Fed scenario. Higher for longer means that there's no relief in sight. Yeah. Oh, well, that's the pessimistic side. <laughs> Let's just try tell you what else we've got coming up on this show. So, uh, three times the charm. Uh, Clavio joins the debut de- I don't think we've got a debut deluge. I've produced, I have this row with them every day. They think we've got a debut deluge. I don't. There you go. You um, think it's a trickle? We have a three trip, IPOs. Please? Is that a deluge? Three drops of rain? Is that a storm? It's a little trickle. A li- Here we go. Clavio joins the little trickle, as Karen puts it. Debut deluge, as our brilliant production team puts it. Pricing its offering at 30 bucks per share, but will it match Arm and Instacart's first day surges in its own listing expected today? Question mark. And one and done. Another question mark. Uh, the end of the Bank of England's hiking cycle looms uh, for the likes of City and Goldman, despite anticipation that today's data print will show the first inflation uptick in six months. Uh, we're going to bring you uh, one last look under the hood uh, of the UK economy before tomorrow's rate decision. Plus, don't miss our conversation with the ARK Invest CEO, that's Kathy Wood. As the Fed gears up for the second day of its policy meeting, you can catch that conversation first on CNBC at 9 Central European time. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Shares of Instacart rose 12% in their Nasdaq debut. The stock initially opened 40% higher as $42 a share was the number, having priced at $30, but paired back some of those early gains. The grocery delivery company, which is the first notable venture-backed firm to go public in the United States in nearly two years, is now worth over $11 billion. The CEO has told CNBC the company proved it could continue to grow and was not just a pandemic flash in the pan. Our business performance is undeniably stronger now than it was back in 2021 when I took the job. You know, our gross transaction volume at the time was shrinking. Now we're growing. We were, there were a lot of questions about whether Instacart would be just another pandemic fad. And we have now proven that we not only kept the COVID gains, but grew on top of the COVID gains and grew sustainably and profitably, uh, which is really important. And so, the price was, you know, a, a very robust price discovery process, as you imagine, uh, like in any IPO. Uh, but we feel like we're not focused on the price necessarily today or in the next 10 days, but really uh, creating value for shareholders over the next 10 years. 
Our U.S. colleagues will be speaking to the Instacart founder later today. You can tune in for that interview at 13.30 CET. Clavio priced at shares at $30 a piece. That was above our, the top end of the range. The marketing and data automation company is offering 19.2 million shares in its market debut, looking to raise over $570 million in this week's offering. The IPO would value the Boston-based company at more than $9 billion. Meantime, shares of Arm continued their decline this week, closing nearly 5% lower. Redburn Atlantic Equities launched coverage of the company with a neutral rating and a price target of $50. Uh, Kathy Woods, ARK Invest, has uh, bought exchange-traded fund issuer Rise ETF. ARK says it paves the way for its expansion into Europe, the UK and new markets globally. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.